Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. This week, we have Campbell McCulley, a PhD candidate at Oregon State University working on microplastics research. This episode is a bonus interview follow-up to our episode 7, Microplastics, Macro Problems. Campbell is an NSF fellow and was part of the Science Outside the Lab policy program that we discussed in episode 17. Campbell. Um, nice to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us once again. This time we get to talk to you about uh, your research. Yay! <laughs> Campbell's research is on microplastics. So Campbell, why don't you tell us a little bit about got you involved and interested in this area? First, I'm a PhD candidate in environmental engineering at Oregon State University. I'm in my fourth year. I was originally my undergrads in chemical engineering. And after I graduated, I did some jobs in manufacturing. Um, although I was really interested in more environmental related stuff, they just didn't have environmental engineering at my college. But our, my capstone project was related to phosphates and uh, rivers. Uh, I volunteered a lot with some water nonprofits like the James River Association as a water quality monitor. Um, in Richmond, Virginia. But when I was looking at different programs, the one here, it seemed like the perfect combination of chemical engineering and environmental engineering. And I was really interested in working in a particular lab group. And originally, their research was studying engineered nanomaterials or nanoparticles as contaminants in surface waters in the environment. It seemed like the nature of the work was moving to more towards microplastics. And that, along with, I was very fortunate enough to get the NSF GRFP um, fellowship, do something I was really interested in, think would be really relevant. So that's what brought me to microplastics. Microplastics are, like, what, what are they? Microplastics overview. Microplastics are any plastic particle that's, smaller than five millimeters in diameter. And that's just like the overarching umbrella. You can have primary microplastics. So that's microplastics designed for like commercial use, like uh, microbeads and cosmetics or fibers and textiles. Um, but then you can also have secondary microplastics. So these plastics derive from primary ones and kind of fragment and split off due to processes in the environment. And they can be found in uh, fragments, fibers, foams, films. So what exactly is your, um, is your research at Oregon State regarding microplastics? Yes. So my research uh, looks at a couple of things. Um, it's looking at uh, transformations of microplastics once they enter the environment and then their behavior. Um, so what a lot of microplastic research, what's been done before, in order to like study them in lab, you can get these manufactured kind of pristine microspheres. However, those plastics aren't really representative of how microplastics look in the environment. So my research involves kind of generating realistic microplastic fragments and um, studying them um, mechanistically in the lab 
you, you describe what microplastics are. We haven't really talked about why they're bad for the environment, if they're mm-hmm. bad for the environment. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of how microplastics affect the environment, affect people? What exactly is the deal with them? So microplastics are not great. They're pretty bad for the environment for a few reasons. Uh, there's um, a health risk to humans and organisms. Um, say if like different organisms in a river, if they ingest microplastics, there's the potential to kind of block intestinal tracts of these organisms or like kind of trick them into thinking they don't need to eat. And so they can actually starve the surfaces of these like tiny plastic fragments. If you think of it kind of, um, as a a car, um, it can actually drop like pathogens and dangerous like metals and other kinds of things through the environment um, and that can be ingested as well so they can like carry something along to poison you is that basically if stuff is attached to them yeah especially with like realistic plastics uh their surfaces are not uniform um so there's a bunch of different things that can attach to the surfaces of these plastics that could be even more harmful than the plastic itself but it has the ability to like, carry it with it as we like have seen especially like in the ocean it's really hard to remove plastics from like our waters they're really hard to find and like detect in the environment because they're so small and so like rapidly different from each other So you can, you would potentially be carrying basically poison from say like a landfill or a wastewater treatment plant all around, all along rivers into the ocean and along the way that kind of like come off, be consumed by organisms or interact with people and things like that. Microplastics are basically everywhere. I think recently they just like someone was getting blood drawn for something and they found microplastics in someone's blood. They can really easily just like invade environments because they're constantly breaking down through all these like processes. And when they're tinier, they're harder to deal with and harder to detect. Okay. That's terrifying. I I don't want to think about plastics in my blood. That's awful. Yeah. Um, So I guess back to your research, um, Mm -hmm. what were the specific questions that you want to solve? And then the results you get, like, how does that help improve the situation in terms of microplastics? Um, So one, the research that we've already done with microplastics are the materials we use for that actually showing us how microplastics behave in the environment is like the one of the big ones. Two, if that is a really big difference, how can we update what we use to do risk assessments? Like these, uh, there's a lot of modeling that gets done with different like plastic, like loads, characteristics, interactions that are like programmed into these models. But if they're based off of something that won't behave how they really should, how much, how good does that do us? Can we update those to be more realistic? At like at the end of that, and like these models, concentrations of like microplastics or how far they travel are like some things you can get from these like models. So updating them to look at more realistic things, I think would give us a better answer of maybe how far these plastics move and how much are how much of them are they then we can like have a better idea how to clean it and like remove them from the environment got it that makes sense 
know of anyone studying the effects on human health? Toxicity of microplastics is like very highly studied. There are, even at Oregon State, there are labs that look at, you know, the toxic effects of microplastics. Um, they start in just organisms or uh, zebrafish are used a lot of the time um, to like start this kind of process. Yeah, I, I would recommend uh, checking out um, the work of Dr. Uh, Stacy Harper at Oregon State. She's doing a lot of cool toxicity microplastic related research. She's like one of the main people on my committee and she's just awesome. What are some challenges that you see with regards to maybe your research or how to deal with microplastics? It's um, the reason why former research, previous research use these kind of like perfectly spherical, pristine particles is because it's easy. Um, they're easy to control. They're easy to see direct effects. Using realistic microplastics in research is difficult. Um, it's, they're just so complex in their shape and their uh, surface chemistry and their behaviors that like a lot of parallel experiments and instrumentation is needed to try and figure out like what's going on. Um, so you just have to be really careful with um, how you make your research plan, how you know you're controlling whatever variable you're controlling with a really heterogeneous material. What's difficult about dealing with microplastics, not, not even necessarily researching them, but, yeah. you know, other than they exist and they're kind of everywhere, including inside people's blood, which I will never be able to forget now. Thank oh, you yeah. For Sorry for scaring image. y'all on a Friday. I like, <laughs> do you ever like, I don't know, find un, uh, like upsetting news, but you feel like you have to share it so you don't go through <laughs> yes. it alone? That, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm like unloading this trauma onto you. Um, but yeah, microplastics, what, why we use modeling to kind of, um, show us like how much plastics are in the environment and maybe where they'll be is because it is so hard to actually detect and quantify these microplastics when they're in the environment. We have to do all these estimations and input all these variables that we know about microplastics and the surrounding waters and because we just physically cannot quantify and detect all these plastics when they're actually in the environment. So that's why what goes into these variables and knowledge that goes into these models needs to be as environmentally relevant as we can possibly make it. So in addition to them just being terrible for the environment, they're also really, really hard to study and understand is what it sounds like. Yes. So what we do at home, like the plastics that are coming through from us using it, can those eventually turn into microplastics and end up in the oceans? is my question. Yes. But you're specifically talking about primary manufactured microplastics. So beads and like face wash or sunscreen, if that goes into the sewage system by being washed off your face in the shower or something, mm -hmm. where does that wastewater go? And wastewater, the processes to like, you know, the wastewater treatment train, microplastics aren't necessarily removed from that process. So that kind of like final clean water, there still can be microplastics in it. But this also could be a thing like 
trash kind of breaking down in the environment um, over time. Uh, say you have a plastic water bottle, it can actually like degrade somewhat like on like a nanoscale. And I think it's like uh, over 90% of microplastics are nano size. So under one micron in diameter. What are kind of some ways that people are trying to solve this? You know, you see the ones about the ocean mm-hmm. where whales have been cut open and they have a whole bunch of plastic in them or something. But how are, I guess, two questions. One is mm-hmm. how are the slightly larger, maybe those sub five millimeter particles, how are those being dealt with? And then what can you even do to deal with something like a one nanometer microplastic or nanoplastic? Yeah. Um, so there's a few things that you can do. Um, it is really important to recycle. Um, there's this one review paper that kinds of talks about all the different ways that particles can in microplastics can enter the environment. And it shows like from manufacturing, from the using these microplastics and plastics in general. I think it's showed in 2018, like only like six to 20% of these plastics are recycled. So, and with like such high plastic production, that's a lot of plastics that are ending up in the environment. But also I think it's really important to look at just our plastic use in general. It's, it's really hard on like a person to person scale um, to Sometimes it feels like it's it's hard to kind of make a dent with like how much plastics go in the environment. But that's also like where you can get into working with policymakers and things like that and trying to transition these like huge, huge manufacturing uh, corporations and things like that to just be using less plastic in general, because that's where like the bulk of it is coming from. So yes, it is really important for like you personally to like be recycling. If you see, if you're like outside and you see like some trash or join a local nonprofit, there's so many river environment cleanup activities you can do. That does play a big role. That can help a lot. Just really getting these larger plastics in the environment before they can make or become microplastics. So it really is more plastics coming from manufacturing than it is people? I, I, I think so as like a de facto kind of thing. Like they make so many plastics and use so many plastics. That's kind of like the starting point. Like if they didn't use as much or they could find other materials that say like biodegrade in the environment instead of like plastic. I feel like it wouldn't really be on like the individual person to like be focusing on like cleaning up after that, you know? But that's just like a personal belief. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like with um, Manali and I were kind of talking about this Coca-Cola, like their whole strategy is people should just recycle the plastic bottles and just bring it back to us. It's completely fine. Well, why, why why is it on us to clean up after that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so it's I think, unfortunately, as somebody on the other side, not working for a packaging company, I know exactly why it is on the customer. Why is it on the customer, Manali? Because if you do market research and you try to give them, you know, paper bottles or whatever, and you tell them that you're going to lose a little bit on performance, people don't want that anymore. Like if you tell them that their Coke is going to stay fizzy for a lot less time, they're not willing to switch to the paper bottle. Or if you're, if you tell them that, you know, a lot of the times it is exactly what consumers get in their hands and that's all they know how to deal with. But Mm -hmm. 
then you do the market research and then you talk to the people and you bring in a, you know, a, a group to be like, okay, well, if these are all the things you have to compromise on in order to get the slightly better sustainability story, are you going to want to do it? And they're like, no. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it is really interesting because like it, like then it basically doesn't come down to like the actual like environmental issue or the science of it. I think this is related kind of what we learned during the DC kind of thing uh, Nasreen and I did was that you just need to know how to communicate effectively to people because like, like the outrage of people when they found out it's like, oh, what, I'm not supposed to use plastic straws anymore. Um, just was a lot, especially on Twitter. I didn't want to deal with it. And that just seemed like such a minor thing. It just, whoever came up with like cutting the soda can rings um, should be in charge of the marketing to try to get people <laughs> to use less plastics. Cause I still cut them <laughs> off. Cause I like don't want to hurt dolphins. Whoever did that should be in charge of this. I mean, now like, they just you, use hard plastic. Yeah. I mean, they came up with the cellulose based ones, I think. But those are still pretty, pretty tough. I think the the thing is, and I think this kind of leads to kind of what, what you're talking about and what we're talking about. I mean, public policy plays such a big plays such a big part in any of these kinds of things because you know you see in Europe um, they're now taxing any packaging that has plastic in it, um, and you're forcing companies to switch over to things like paper. So how do you kind of see public policy playing in? playing a role in or reducing microplastic pollution or do you do you think that there could be some sort of policy implemented that could help in this situation and maybe what is there now if you know i i think exactly what you're saying like it for these like manufacturing and like use such high use of plastics i was about to say there's no downside other than you know the environmental effects to these companies there's like no downside for them to continually to do it because it's cheap effective um they're supported kind of by policies and government like to do it a lot of the time so if there were policies that you know made it harder for them like saying like attacks on like a certain amount of plastic production and things like that i think that can go a very long way they just care about the money aspect so i don't know make it affect the money i mean yeah incentives work you know? yeah. <laughs> financial incentives make make a big difference I guess, uh, do you know of any technical methods to be able to reduce microplastics or to be able to um, do some of this like filtration or things Mm -hmm. like that, that could happen, that could be helping with reducing the amount of stuff that gets into the oceans or even the amount of stuff that is produced? Yeah, I've seen these like really cool, I think they're like closer to the ocean, but these really cool devices that they kind of look like manufactured like whirlpools where they just are sucking in water right on the edge of like the ocean. And it's basically just trapping any kind of debris um, in like this like netting kind of thing. And yeah, that would be like kind of larger plastics, but microplastics come from those larger plastics. So that's like a way that you can kind of mitigate that. And then I think it would be really helpful 
um, if there was some kind of screening or kind of particle testing for like certain wastewater treatment plants, like that final water, the effluent that is then goes to the environment that's like clean from like the millions of processes they do to that. If there was just a, somewhat an additional screen to kind of look at are there any plastics in this final water? Um, do we need to do any kind of centrifuging or like additional like ultra filtration um, at that stage before all this like water um, goes back to the environment would be pretty cool. And I'm sure there's stuff like that going on, but I don't know, I'm interested to learning more about that. Yeah, I, I would, well, I guess I don't know that much about how wastewater treatment plants but I would hope that they would be implementing this sort of stuff somewhere. But maybe then it comes down to, again, policy and like what the municipalities can afford and what the government can afford and like what they think is acceptable to go back into yeah. the environment. And it's like, it's, it's also really hard because some of these plastics that like get through are just so small. Um, it may not be like in the realm of capability, like, yeah, for like a municipal kind of government treatment plant they need money to do that can you give us like a worst case scenario of what might happen if we a don't study them and b just keep having more and more microplastics in the ocean continue to traumatize people in this episode. yeah I mean, that's fine uh, yeah um, i think they should one, know one Maybe i want them to stop littering yeah sorry are you sure you don't want this to be like a halloween episode or something <laughs> like that um well one i will never be able to sleep at night Two, I think um, a lot of different organisms, if it's like not stopped or we do nothing about it, a lot of species I do think can die. And that just kind of ruins ecosystems. Um, and there, there are worse things in the environment than microplastics, um, say antibiotic resistant bacteria or pathogens. So those are like bacteria and pathogens that are medicines are increasingly doing a worse job in treating, um, those can like hop onto microplastics and like spread out through these different waterways more. I think those are some worst case scenarios things. <laughs> can, I get, can I share like a story that's related but not like actually useful for this episode? Please do. <laughs> so there's this Chattahoochee River in um, Georgia and I had read an article about how people were sacrificing goats. They were like cutting off their goats heads and like the rowing them mm -hmm. into into the river and so like people it's called shooting the hooch like well just like be on, in tubes and they're just like all these like headless goats were just like in the river it was I, i'm sorry I, what I, I told you she, about she it. did she did say this was unrelated to the the episode Wait, i've i've definitely been i've sh shot the hooch before oh. This was like and happening this. in 2020. It was like, there was a news article on it. But also my friend was like once with her friend and they saw a floating refrigerator and in the refrigerator, they saw an arm. So there was a dead body in a refrigerator. <laughs> this is my friend. Um, and so they had to stop and like call the police. And then like the police confirmed that there was this dead body. I think that goes back to uh, listeners, don't litter. <laughs> don't kill things and put them in, in the yeah. water. Don't, th don't throw your like 
coffee cup or water bottle out your window when you're driving and don't throw bodies into a river. I, I think it's pretty easy to like not do that. Except for. <laughs> How can our listeners or how can people get involved and improve the amount of microplastics that they make or improve sustainability in terms of microplastics through their actions? Yeah, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, it is really important to recycle. Um, there, I'm, it's, I love living in Oregon because they like take care of waters like so well comparatively to other states. And there's like different programs where you can take uh, you're recycling, say like bottles and cans and things like that to a location and you get like 10 cents for like every bottle you like recycle there. Um, so recycling is really important. Um, but also volunteering, there's a lot of great water related watershed nonprofits, uh, around your area. And they're constantly doing like river cleanups and things like that. Like I said earlier, these, uh, microplastics just like break off of like larger plastics. So if we remove larger plastics from the environment, that will help. And and don't litter. That that's a big one. That's that's kind of like the 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 bar is under the ground. Like don't litter. But that's something else you can do. I hate people who litter. That's my pet yeah, peeve. It, yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> I don't think that counts as a pet peeve. <laughs> I think that's just universally known as bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a fun fact about microplastics to end with? Fun, not gruesome yeah. and traumatizing. Okay, so I won't talk about uh, microplastics <laughs> in your blood. You can, uh, something that's been fun in kind of my research that I've done so far, there's really cool um, like ways you can make your own microplastics. So just kind of, you know, keeping that recycling sustainability going forward. Um, I plan on making microplastics for my research out of plastics that I use at home. So like my own recycling, I can use as materials for my own research. So that's fun. That is cool. Is there anything else that you want um, our general audience to know? Can it be a non-microplastics thing? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I also have a podcast. Um, it's not related to science. It's called Boozicals and me and my best friend Raven uh, we both grew up loving music and playing instruments like in band and orchestra. Um, so, and we also love musicals. So we kind of like recap musicals um, while uh, drinking too much. Um, there's a specialty cocktail for every musical we do. And we do this to uh, both have fun, but also to raise money for music education. So musicals, wherever podcasts are found, you can find us on Instagram at musicals. Yeah, we, we have some pretty fun stuff lined up. I'm really excited. Thank you, Campbell, for joining us today. And um, we hope people go listen to your podcast and also that people learned a lot about microplastics today. Um, yeah, we appreciate thanks for time. having me again. This, this has been really fun. I'm sorry for scaring everyone. <laughs> it's okay. This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. Music is by Shang Young. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGTM Podcast, or you can email us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com.